Welcome to the EdTech Podcast. This week I had an awesome visit to the Shireland Collegiate Academy in Smedwick, where I met Sir Mark Grundy and spent the day with principal-designate to the new Shireland Tech Primary School, Kirsty Tonks. Shireland Tech Primary is on the cards to open in 2018, and the EdTech Podcast will be charting progress of this innovative school launch. I will also be sharing my findings from the Shireland Academy in a forthcoming episode on the podcast. In other news this week, I found out that BISA director Caroline Wright is an absolute fiend on Pokemon Go, and I've been working hard to get this week's podcast episode finished before I visit Camp Bestival on a family trip. I'm looking forward to checking out the science tent there, which is awash with steam goodies. This week's podcast features Audrey Jarre, one half of the EdTech World Tour team. Audrey is a final year master's student at HEC Paris and École Polytechnique. She founded the EdTech World Tour, a research project charting education innovation in the USA, Chile, New Zealand, Australia, India, South Korea and South Africa. The Tour Findings Report was published this week with the backing of corporates including Pearson, Total and Cirrus. Having now read the report, I would highly recommend you download, read and share it at www.edtechworldtour.com as it offers some refreshing global case studies on innovation. Audrey is now working on a collaborative makerspace in Paris called Liberté Living Lab. The website link is in the show notes and if you want to experience what I think would be the closest thing to seeing life through Sid Barrett's eyes, give it a go. It's a stimulating experience. Just a final note, this podcast is one of many recorded at EdTech Europe in June this year. Others in the upcoming series include LinkedIn, Class Tech Tips and BBC Education. A big shout out to EdTech Europe for doing such a good job on hosting me and such interesting speakers that I could interview along the way. It was on this day that England was still in the Euros and the UK was still in Europe. As always, if you have comments on the episode, please tweet at Podcast EdTech, chase me down on Facebook or Instagram or rate and review on iTunes, Stitcher or whatever platform you're listening on. Um, I'm sat here, it's uh, nearly the end of the day at uh, EdTech uh, Europe. I believe England have finally, uh, sorry Wales, be- beaten Wales at the football. Um, and I'm here with uh, Audrey Jarre, have I pronounced that correctly, uh, from Liberté uh, Living Lab and the EdTech World Tour. So Audrey, just to kick off, uh, the EdTech World Tour, what was that? A crazy project. Um, we decided that the silos were not only functional but also geographic in EdTech and we didn't want to stay stuck in space as well as stuck in time in education. So we decided to go into 10 countries to study best practices in education innovation. Okay, and uh, uh, at the risk of that being a long list, could you tell us which 10 countries those were? We went <laughs> to uh, the West Coast and Chile. Uh, sorry, of the US and Chile, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, India, South Korea, France, Germany, and the UK. 
Wow. Okay. And uh, what was like one of the most memorable things that you remember on the tour? I think spending a day in South Africa, Cape Town, with Green Shoot Education. It's a company of the Wires Accelerator. Uh, basically, they provide uh, math training in computer labs for, for kids in low-income townships. Um, it was memorable because they showed us a few schools they've been working with in the past as a provider and trainer, but they hadn't been working with them for three years, but they were still using the products and having results. And we thought that it was actually the best technological innovation to have things lasting the distance. And, and so, so that particular application, um, I'm imagining there's obviously barriers to uptake uh, in that context in terms of cost or uh, sometimes connectivity. So what was it exactly they did that meant that, you know, that was successful? What was their product offering? The product was offering kind of an adaptive training of uh, math for, for kids on computers, but working on a very low data uh, scheme and also ensuring that the training would not only be of the teachers, but also for teaching assistants that would ensure that the teacher would not be overwhelmed with technology, but would be supported by someone who would stay in the long run. And hence, uh, he wouldn't be left alone with students and tech that would sometimes not work. So I think that was what we really liked about this company is that they, um, they really thought from the perspective of the teachers and of the users. And they were not only focusing on making great VR or great tech that would be impressive. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it from an innovation perspective, it could seem very simple. Yeah. But for us, what matters is that it has impact on results. Absolutely. And so your own personal journey, how did you come into this crazy EdTech world and uh, how did the EdTech World Tour come about? Um, I think as a lot of people in the education space out of frustration of our own and of seeing how inflexible it could be and how it didn't really train us for what we aimed at doing. So as Vinia, my co-founder and I met in, in business school where we were working on a few projects and we we're learning much more by doing extracurricular things than by going to class. So we thought we'd come and check out how that was happening in um, in high school and primary school as well because that's when it all starts and when kids can finally get ready to uh, sorry uh, get ready for a higher education afterwards and are feeling more, com more comfortable if they learn how to learn so it really came about that way uh, frustrations crispation and seeing that no one uh, amongst our friends and families knew what edtech was when I think it's a good phrase, um, even when there's not that much as tech component, but just as a phrase to show, to talk about education innovation, mm -hmm. at least people know that education is not such a noble topic and that you can actually do something with it. So when you were feeling frustrated about this lack of innovation, were you aware of the term edtech then? Is that something you were sort of studying into or? Um, I first did it to be a teacher. I was studying English and yes. then I went into business school when I realized that all the teachers I was talking to were unhappy and I thought that I may have a bigger impact by trying and, and to think and, and meet as many educators as possible and, and find what was a, a problem than by being a teacher myself and having only a small impact. So right now, I really want to go back into teaching at some point, maybe uh, more now in higher ed and in other topics in English. but. I, I thought, yeah, with, you'd have more impact by showcasing uh, those voices and doing some storytelling because I think that's the biggest problem about edtech now is you show kids playing on iPads on TV and people get frustrated and they think it's consumption of content and a creation of content. So 
you need people who speak both languages, one of the teachers and one of the business people, basically, to do this missing link and kind of build that. And so the EdTech World Tour, was that part of your thesis or your equivalent of the thesis? Not really. No. It was really independent. In French, you can take a year off before your last year of master's. And I'm studying innovation and design, so it kind of made sense. And the school allowed me to do so. And how did you get the backing of some of your partners? Uh, we worked with uh, Pearson, Pearson uh, 360 yeah. Learning, a French startup, uh, American companies as well, uh, Serious Assessment, which is an assessment company in the UK. Uh, they were all either interested in us writing content for them that would uh, showcase local insights mm -hmm. and not only their global perspectives. Um, and also, I think they were interested in, in the story as we were both students studying at tech. I think our voice was maybe less biased than someone writing a marketing brochure and it would be yeah. a more genuine voice about at tech. And so when we spoke previously, uh, I think you were at the stage of, you know, you just got back to Paris, had this amazing trip. Uh, and you were sort of trying to think about how to consolidate some of those uh, experiences that you had. So is that something that you are now ready to share? With yes, definitely. So we're fin giving the final touch to some reports that we should publish in the coming weeks. And we're trying to work on the implementation side. So we've been meeting with the Ministry of Education in France and trying to help them with the strategy as far as uh, EdTech is concerned um, and how, again, you bring the different people together to create an ecosystem. So Zvinia uh, is uh, working on creating a label about uh, the French EdTech uh, to help this uh, industry grow and help it grow within our system and not against it. So that's what she's doing right now to leverage the learnings and best practices from abroad to uh, influence uh, our own policy. Okay, so, so so when you say label, so it's basically creating a brand that people can kind of rally around, exactly, around EdTech exactly. as a... To have one door that you go to and that helps yeah. you have access to schools, but also have access to uh, bigger companies if you're a small startup. Because uh, right now when there's public command in France, it's really hard for the small startup to thrive because they don't know the codes, basically. So she's really working on that and um, focusing on the extracurricular through the Liberté Living Lab and also through creating a school with a network of researchers. Um, so, so just uh, so you mentioned Liberté Living Lab, so yes. tell us about that. If you want to go to the website as well, what's the website? Uh, Liberté.paris. Yeah, probably the most bonkers website I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, you may feel like you've taken hallucinogens, but it's also a very exciting website and I like the ethos of it because it's about innovation and, you know, not experiencing content as you know as we're kind of almost trained to expect a website to look now uh, so that was a lot of fun when I went on there exactly and wait until you see the website for the <laughs> education programming we will be having from okay. October onwards which is uh, even more bonkers <laughs> and the Liberté is a new kind of workplace where we try and bring people who work within different sectors but also different temporalities so we have artists medias public services uh, corporates and startups leveraging tech for social impacts and I'm working on the kids part. So how do you ensure that kids uh, have also access to this and don't have to wait until they're, they're 18 or graduate to go to a third space, as we call it? Okay, and so in that way, is it almost a bit of a playground for kids to go and, and tinker around with some of these ideas and then if they have good ideas, to then have that connectivity into those other uh, people that you mentioned? Yes, we do have a fab lab for kids. And we will be offering programming for teenagers so that it can kind of tinker with technologies. Uh, 
and keeping in mind the social context of it all. So, for example, we'll do things about maker education uh, with people coming and talking also about how it can help you with you, uh, sorry, help with handicaps. Yeah. Uh, so it's all about trying to get kids to be curious and hungry to learn more, and help them help them do that in a nice environment. Is that sort of government funded as well? Uh, no, it's not. It's independent. Oh, wow. uh, we fund it through the different corporates that we work with, yeah. and and help uh, again pivot or change strategies in light of the changes with data or AI, for example. Yeah, I mean, just going back to the the tour, and uh, I suppose those being the underpinnings of what you're doing with the lab. Um, what would you say are the top three findings that you know you came back to Paris with? Um, I mean, there will sound very obvious, but I think you need to state them again, that education is local and that there are interesting problems and important problems uh, and they're all very specific to a country. So a lot of investors are saying that EdTech should be global in the first place, but I think people should focus on solving what is most important and that creates most pressure in a country and that's only this way that you're going to have support from authorities and from teachers if you're solving something that's a daily problem. Uh, so I don't think all companies should go global straight away. I, th I think that's really, um, really true. I think I saw something, maybe it was on Urban Teacher's Twitter account, but um, anyhow, it's, uh, or maybe it was something he said when I interviewed him, but you know, that we can have all of our first world problems here in terms of, uh, you know, thinking about connected uh, education and that kind of thing and all of the luxuries of that. But, you know, some with this huge displaced population at the moment as well, you know, they, they may be highly educated people, but without access to even, you know, a pen, a pencil and a piece of paper or, you know, um, a roof from which to, to learn during that day. So, yeah, I think, it, yeah, it has to be based on the local context, surely. So that would be the first and most important one. Then I think the storytelling uh, work we have to do is nothing superficial. It's very important. So otherwise, we will never get the support from parents and kids alike, who are sometimes the ones, surprisingly enough, who are against technology because they feel it's not learning and they're not entitled to do it. So there's a lot of things to do around it to, to show them purposeful mm. use of technology and not just a mindless one. Yeah, uh, especially regarding gamification. Interesting. But what 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 are your thoughts on uh, gamification? I mean, um, in, interestingly, I was sort of speaking to um, some people involved in Russian edtech, and I think they were trying to work out whether, you know, th their sense, sort of sentiment was that there are a huge amount of um, startups around gamification, and are they edtech or aren't they edtech, or are they just like you say, just enjoyable? Uh, learning experiences but I mean what did you find? I think the opening remarks this morning that you know the 8 billion were invested in EdTech, 8 billion in gaming and although the market is 57 times bigger it, it was very interesting that you should say that now all the investment in gaming is kind of paying forward because uh, it's also an investment in EdTech in a way. Mm. Um, I think gamification is very important and um, I was of talking about this with the people at the UCL Knowledge Lab yesterday when it's um, mixed with other things for example when it's renewing art forms and so it's not only STEM it's what they call STEAM mm -hmm. so yesterday they were showing us for example a product that helps kids uh, learn about Shakespeare through um, creating games for example around Macbeth I think this is truly the kind of games we do want that 
are actually leveraging creativity and and not only replicating a, a sort of other games that they could do. So we must be very careful when creating games and always work with educators. But I, I think it's it's a key uh, growth sector for edtech because you have so many people who are uh, truly passionate and very gifted and are actually looking for a mission and they're working in gaming right now but they would may as well work and pull all those efforts in education so for me it's it's something that we can be really helpful about yeah i think uh, even some of the large uh, gaming uh, companies like king have turned to uh, education as a larger part of their uh, offering now and then obviously you've got people like um, zuckerberg so it's yes. not not entirely gaming but you know investing hugely in education so um, yeah it would seem that way um, how did you find your own education some people really loved it some people hated it uh, I think I, I loved it but just because uh, I was doing things at the pace that was decided upon by a teacher and I think it was not the case of most of the people I was studying with and I found it actually frustrating because right now in, in, in France we're not uh, we're not caring about those we're left behind. We're not building a top end either. It's all about being in the middle. Mm -hmm. And it's why I'm really fascinated today by the lab schools and all different schools that basically don't have um, a given level. You must be at a given age, but are having mixed age environment where you can really fluctuate depending on your different talents, interests. Mm -hmm. And I think I've really got frustrated with that through my own. So it's, it's something that I'm really helpful tech can help with. And I think it's the most important thing about EdTech right now is personalization to mm -hmm. help people um, stop censorship because then they will feel more va uh, valued in what, that, what they're doing in, in their own education. Interesting. And were there any other sessions or people that you spoke to today that you'd like to share in terms of things that really excited you? I was very excited to hear the panel about teachers becoming entrepreneurs. Uh, again, because I think in those type of conferences you have lots of investors and innovators, but they don't get to mingle with the end user. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to hear them talk about what they were excited about, what they were worried about. And even in a way they were speaking, they had a different temporality, different pace. And I think it was very refreshing to have this uh, here at Tech Europe for the first time, whether they're last year. And I hope that next year for EdTech Week, we have even more teachers uh, coming and sharing about their, their own experience of what EdTech is. And what were they worried about? So I think that'd be what? quite interesting to, to the listeners, yeah. What were their words about? Um, they were just talking about very simple things that were putting, uh, being put in place in some schools, uh, just through you know Skype sessions, uh, allowing uh, kids to have one-on-one -on -one reading that they couldn't have with the teachers. Things that are really low-tech, but mm -hmm. they're actually implementing every day in a classroom. And I think for edtech entrepreneurs, it's very important to listen to this, um, to look at what is meaningful, what is actually used, what is valued, and not just build technology for the sake of it? It's quite funny, you know, because you just said two things, which uh, I just interviewed Richard Kalata from the state of Rhode Island um, and previously of the uh, US government. And he said exactly the same things in terms of, you know, he's excited about personalization and also just to start small, start small and just focus on that. And, you know, rather than worrying about trying to solve a huge problem. So definitely some trends coming out there. Yeah, what, what's next for you though, Audrey? What's next? Um, yeah. So I'm working with a group of researchers in France in cognitive science and science of education who are tired of lecturing to one or two people and who actually wanted to put this research into practice. So they're creating a lab school in France, would be the first one, and I'm helping them pilot the business side of it oh, fantastic. through the Liberté Living Lab where they are yeah. incubated. Uh, so that's 
one part and I'm working on my master of research yep. where I'm going to be tackling the learning space and how you learn uh, through the space you're in. I'm very interested in how uh, mobility and learning impacts it. So if you pick it, uh, if you choose it, so Minerva is very interesting, but also if you if you have to undergo it, if you're a refugee, for example. So um, I'm going to be researching, again, in education, maybe in a less global manner, but still mm. uh, keeping in mind that we must look elsewhere to get inspired and to go forward. And on that front, I mean, can we expect to see you in the French Ministry of Education or heading up an innovation department at Pearson? Where, where do you think, like long term, do you think you'll, you'll be perhaps uh, more about uh, creating some of these new alternative models of education? So these lab schools or that kind of thing. What, what do you think? Where do you think we'll find you in five years time? Uh, five years time. Um, <laughs> I'd really love to um, have an impact on the French system because that's the one I grew up in. Um, at the same time, I think maybe you have most impact on it if you're creating something global and incorporate France within it so that uh, people can get inspired and benefit from something else. So I don't think working for the ministry would be the solution in that end. Uh, but maybe, maybe creating a, a network of schools or something in that vein. I don't really know. There's a lot of problems to tackle. Yeah. And as something was, uh, somebody was saying earlier, uh, there's a lot of interesting problems, a lot of important problems, but uh, I prefer people who focus on the latter. And uh, right now, I just have to see which one is most important to me. <laughs> Thank you very much and great to meet you today. Thank you. Great to meet you as well. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode and don't forget to check out the show notes PDF link for loads of extra resources and reading and see you next week.